ask that you pray with me before we get into the Word this morning. Heavenly Father, God, as we open up your Word this morning, my heart is, is pounding because I know what's coming. I know what your Word is, is asking of us. I know what it's done to me. And God, I pray that you would help us to, to receive that, that your Word would go out with power and it, it would be received this morning with power. Let us hear you speak, God. I pray that we leave here different than we came in. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. We're going to look at uh, the passage 12 through, through 17. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. And as you're, as you're finding your way there, remind you we're, we're continuing on in the series of, of worship, that worship matters and today we're going to be looking at at unity in worship um as i was going through and and preparing for this and thinking of of unity i thought of something my old coaches used to say to me there's no i in team if you guys got that a lot when you're growing up you played sports but i hear that a lot there's no i in team and and me and all of my wisdom i'd say yeah but there's an i in win and if we're going to win I'm going to have to do something. We're going to have to, to, to come together, and I'm going to have to do something and start putting some of the pressure you know, on, on myself. And I just say that to, to highlight our, our human nature. Um, as we have been born into a sinful state, our, our default nature is sort of an I nature. And so as we come into the body of Christ, we have to shed that old nature and the new nature of Christ begins to, to take place. So those words, there's no I in team, begin to mean something a little more to me now than they, than they did because now it's Christ. Christ is all in all and he is that in our, in our unity. So let me give you a little bit of, of context here. Paul has gotten word from Epaphras, the He's the, the planter of the church there in Colossae, and he's come back to him, and he's, he's told Paul, hey, the false teachers are striking again. They're in there, and, and they're teaching angel worship, and they're teaching traditions, and they're teaching things not to, to touch, and all those manly traditions again. And so Paul says, no, 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 no. That's the opposite of, of what the gospel teaches, that we are to, to put away confidence in ourselves, And now all of our confidence is in it's in Christ, and it's what, what He has done. It's not in us. He says, don't go back to that old nature. Now the Spirit of Christ that, that dwells in you through Him, through that power, we put the old self away and we become a new person in Christ. And He reminds us that it's the fullness of Christ that takes the old self-glorifying body of flesh and turns us into a God-glorifying body of Christ as one, as one unified body. And then that, the problem with that is that it goes against our, our old human nature. So what Paul is getting at is, is this. Put, put away the old self. He says, die to self. And he goes and he lists anger and malice and all these things that damage our relationships. And he says, put those things away. And now put on the new person, which is Christ. But Paul, the chief of sinners, knows that, that struggle, right? He knows our, our default nature is opposite of that, and so he gives us some instruction on, on how to do that, and he begins to, to line those out in the passage that we're that we're going to look at today. So let me let me read let me read this text, and then we'll start working through the points that we're going to consider this morning. If you would please stand as we as we read the Word of God this morning. 
Starting in verse 12, it says this. The Word of God says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one another has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Thanks, you all may be seated. So what Paul is driving at in this passage is is to build a church that is full of of Christ-centered individuals that live for the glory of God and they live for the good of the body, which is the goal that, that I have for us this morning. I want us to consider what changes might need to be made on, on a personal level, on an individual level, in order to shift us from, from a self-glorifying nature to, to a nature that glorifies the body of Christ, to go from a self-centered lifestyle to a Christ-centered lifestyle. So we've looked in, in week one, Brother Richard taught us uh, how everybody is designed to worship. We're all going to worship something, but that misdirected worship, worships being something other than the God that, that created us, brings us to a place of eternal judgment. His wrath comes down on that kind of worship. And then last week, we looked at, at spirit and truth. The way we worship in genuine worship is through spirit and truth. That it, It's Christ-centered. It emanates from the Spirit, right? And it's all centered around the Word of God. And then this week we're looking at our unity in worship. We're going to see how the centrality of Christ produces a deeper, a deeper level of unification in worship within, within the body of Christ. And we're going to do that through, through four points. I've got four um, fairly wordy points. I've tried to trim those back a little bit, but that's the best I could do. But we're going to look at four ways the Christ-centered life produces unity in the body, and in worship. So starting here at verse, verse 12, this is what Paul says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving. One, one thing I don't want to walk past that I think we need to draw out first is that very first statement that, that, that Paul says that he reminds us of is you are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And I think it's important that we, that we draw that out because I think that sets the tone for what he's about to, to go through. He's, he's reminding us of our, of our place, that we are chosen to be holy. We have been set apart, different from the world, but, but that we're also blameless and, and that we're loved by God. And so before he says, hey, do this, do this, do this, do this, stop doing that, He says, let me remind you before you beat up on yourself that God has set his love on you in Christ before the foundations of the world, that you are loved by him. And although your posture needs to change a little bit, your position never changes. Your position in Christ is always going to be the same before God, but we're going to tweak our posture a little bit today. We don't want to get those two things confused because we, we believe that we get to heaven. We know that our righteousness 
is by Christ alone and his work, right? But that goes against what our default settings are, our default nature. If you go out on, on the street, if you're doing some kind of open-air evangelism and you're speaking with someone and you ask them, that someone that doesn't know Christ, hey, how do you, how do you think you're going to stand before God when you die? Well, I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good person, so I think, I think I'll be okay. And we, and we disagree with that. We say, no, that's, you know, that's not right. It's the work of Christ. It's Christ that, that gives us justification uh, before God. But, but even as, as Christians, we can, we can default to that sometimes, right? Like when we, when we backslide, when we, when we sin, when we fall, and, and, and something, something goes wrong, the, one of the first things we say is, well, I can't read my Bible today. I didn't, I didn't do good today. I can't, I can't pray today. I can't worship today because I haven't done good. And then all of a sudden, we're, we're back to this performance-based you know, religion, right? So we, Paul's protecting us from defaulting back to that, saying you're placing God. It's, it's never going to change, but we are going to look at some things that need to change in you. Now the way you stand, you are guiltless before God. We don't have to go back to that old human nature and we're going to look at these virtues and see how we can begin to walk in these. So now, getting to the first point. By putting on the virtues of Christ, we become united with the body of Christ. So these, these virtues that, that we're looking at, that's what disconnects us from self and connects us with the body. And these are all virtues that you, that you see they're relational. These are, these are virtues that help us to establish deep and loving relationships within the body. And he starts off with that compassionate heart, to put on a compassionate heart. And, and Scripture says it was compassion that allowed Jesus to minister to the sick and the injured and, and the disabled. When he saw the crowd swarming him, he looked at them with compassion like, like sheep without a shepherd. And that's so important. To us, that's compassion. Was is what allowed Christ to minister to people who were nothing like Him, right? He was God in the flesh, and yet the people that He spent time with were broken, messed up, sick people like we like we are. So if we're going to one be unbiased with the body in here, and especially if we're going to think we can go outside of these walls and minister to a community that doesn't look like us, that don't act like us, it's going to take a compassionate heart. So Paul starts with his heart of compassion, and everything sort of pours out of that. He goes into to kindness, right? And we see all these begin to manifest themselves as characteristics of, characteristics of God that we've seen in, in Christ. It was God's kindness that, that led us to repentance. It was in Christ's kindness that he said, take my yoke upon you. And then we see patience. It's because of Christ's patience, Paul says in his letter to Timothy, that he found mercy. And in order that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. And then Peter writes in his letter that if it wasn't for the patience of God, no one would be saved. Then he moves on to humility. He says it's the humility of Christ that we need to put on. It was Christ's humility that led him to the, to the cross. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even a cross. And then he gets to, to meekness. And I think this is one of the most I don't know, misunderstood, maybe, character, characteristics that, that, that we look at and that we try to learn. I think we forget sometimes what that is to, to be meek. 
Christ says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. But what, is it, what does that mean for us to, to, put on, to put on meekness? I want to flesh this out just a, just a little bit. I've thought about this. and When we become meek, we, let, we come to a place where we can let God define who we are. We can let Him fight our battles. We, we no longer continue in that struggle with who the world thinks we should be. We're happy with who we are in Christ. So if we see somebody with nicer clothes, we don't immediately feel like that we need to, to go change and, and put on something else. If we get overlooked for something, we're okay. Our value doesn't change. We can accomplish something great and we don't have to tell anybody about it. We can just keep that to, to ourselves and celebrate with God. We can begin to see the beauty in ourselves when we look nothing like what what the world says is beautiful. I think we really get to that place where you're able to, to rest as an unfinished, imperfect individual resting in the perfect and finished work of, of Christ. I think that's how you get there is through those virtues and especially being, being able to put on that, that meekness. So when we put on all of these virtues, I think we get to that place that Paul's directing us to go, a place of forbearance kind of speaking of, of past sins there, to, to bear with one another so that bitterness that you might be holding over something, you can finally let that go when you're able to, to forgive when forgiveness isn't asked for or when it's maybe not even deserved as far as you're concerned. But remember, the mark is Christ. We, we forgive the way Christ forgave us, which was in an undeserving, sacrificial way, in the same way with the way He he loved us. He loved us because God set His love on us, not that we, not that we did any, anything. So we're trying to put on these virtues in order to, to get to that point. And if we want to be real about this, if we want to get honest about this, it, it's hard. We can, we can forgive little stuff fairly easy. If somebody cuts you off on the road, you, well, some of us maybe can do that. If somebody cuts you off on the road, you can let that go. Or if somebody drinks the last Coke in the fridge, you can let that go. If you get a Happy Meal at McDonald's and they don't put ketchup in the bag, eventually you can let that go too. Your kids might not, but you can. You can let that go. But let's, what, okay, let's, let's get real. What about the woman that is wanting to abort her child because she can't forgive the man that raped her? And impregnated her. What about what about the man that's wanting a, a divorce because he can't forgive the affair that his wife has been in for three years? That's where we find the rub. That's where it gets really, really hard. Because in the flesh, these things are unforgivable. These big wrongs, I can forgive little stuff, but no, nah, that's serious. That doesn't get forgiveness. Our flesh says these are un forgivable that these things deserve hate and they deserve vengeance and retaliation but by donning the virtues of Christ unity becomes more important than self and forgiveness becomes possible even even in the worst of circumstances let me let me give you an example of that y'all remember in 2015 the shooting that took place in Charleston South Carolina there was a young white guy, he, he had been invited to a Bible study. I think he'd gone a couple times. It was, it was a predominantly black church. And then one night he just shows up, guns blazing. Takes nine lives, nine African-American lives. 
in that church, and he, and he did that in the name of, of white supremacy. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you a little bit of a something here, so stick with me. But I pulled this from a news report um, from the Internet. And this is what it says. This is, this is the reporter talking. It says, when Christians are in the news, it's usually because they've done something wrong. They've gotten on the wrong side of a culture war or cheated on their wife or worse. What the world rarely gets to see is the powerful grace that flows from a deep faith predicated on the belief that we are all sinners in need of forgiveness. It says, the family members of those slain at Charleston's Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church bore witness to the central tenet of Christianity last week as the nation gasped in awe as they said, I forgive you one after the other to the stone-faced and unrepentant alleged killer. I forgive you, said Anthony Thompson, the husband of slain Myra Thompson, but we would like to take this opportunity, would like you to take this opportunity to repent. Just repent, confess, give your life to the one who matters most, Christ, so that he can change it. It can change your ways no matter what happened to you, and you will be okay. Do that, and you'll be better off than you are right now. What they're saying to person that killed their loved ones. The other one I wanted to read was, was this, Bethany Middleton Brown, the sister of Reverend DePayne Middleton Doctor. She says, for me, I'm a work in progress and I acknowledge I'm very angry. But one thing that she's always joined in our family with is that she taught me that we are the families that love built. We have no room for hate, so we have to forgive. I pray God on your soul, and I also thank God that I will be around when your judgment day comes with him. May God bless you. One reporter tweeted on this. He said, I'm a non-Christian, and I must say this is a remarkable advertisement for Christianity. Thankfully, the circumstances requiring forgiveness don't always involve the murder of a loved one, but sometimes they do. You hear that? She said, we are the families that love built. Notice in verse 14, Paul says, and above all these, of all these other virtues, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is that tie that binds all of these virtues together. We can get away with an act of kindness. We can get away with maybe being patient here and there, but if we're going to be all of those things all the time, love has to be present. There's no way to put on these characteristics, to don the virtues of Christ, if love is not the thing that's holding it all together. And that's what I want us to be able to say about our family here. That we're a family that love built. We, we look like Jesus at First Baptist Church. We put on those virtues of, of Christ. It, it keeps us protected from the influences of our flesh that cause us to choose self over unity. And that's how we become capable of loving like Jesus and forgiving like Jesus when we put on the virtues of Jesus. So in order for us to experience the unity that comes from a Christ-centered life, we have to put on the virtues of Christ and we have to let Christ also have control of our hearts so this is where we notice a bit of a, a balance in this passage. The, this, this first putting on that, that's intentional, that's effort, that takes us doing something. We actually have to act on that. And then on the, on the other half of this, now Paul says, but let, let, allow. So this is something that we kind of rest in. So some of it's active and some of it is, is submissive. 
Here's what, what he says. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So he's saying, listen, let, let the peace of Christ rule. Let the Prince of Peace rule in your heart. Peace is from Christ. It is His to give. He left that to us. It's a gift. So Paul says, allow that to, to rule your life. And literally what, what he's saying, if you, if you look in the language of this phrase, is to allow Christ to be the umpire of your, of your heart. You think, well, why do I need an umpire for my heart? Because our hearts are wicked <laughs> above everything. Scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So if we allow our decisions to come from, from within ourselves, if we're the ones that are making all of those apart from Christ and all of our decisions that we're making, the way we're treating people, what we're doing, are going to be influenced by wickedness. Paul says the way that you avoid that, the way that that stops, is by letting Christ umpire, let him be the arbitrator of your life. So we, we've got this continual clash within, our, within ourselves, right? Galatians 5.17 says that the spirit wants one thing, but the flesh wants something else. We've got this continual clash going on. So when these moments of inner turmoil occur, when these things happen and the flesh says, hey, do this, and the spirit says, no, don't do that, don't do that. When that happens, we defer to the peace of Christ and we let him make that decision. And then we know that we're going to have peace within our body. If peace is ruling over our hearts, if peace is, is, is the one that's controlling all of our decisions, then effectively it's going to rule over the body as well. And we're guaranteed uh, the, peace of, the peace of Christ within the body. Uh, there was a story in, uh, out of the Salvation Army, and I don't know how, how old it was, and it was about a lady they called Warrior Brown. And they called her Warrior Brown because she used to have a bit of a drinking problem. And she would rage a little bit when she got to drinking. And so she would kind of turn into this enraged warrior type lady. So they called her Warrior Brown. Well, in God's grace, she was, she was converted. She was, she was saved and, it, and it, completely, it completely changed her. And so one day she's at this open air meeting and she's giving her, her testimony. She's talking about the change that's been, that's been made in her life. And somebody in the crowd has a potato. And they chunk this potato at her and they hit her right in the face with it. Warrior Brown. She doesn't say a word. She bends down. She, she picks up the, the potato, puts it in her purse and just acts like nothing has ever happened. And then a few months later, it says, or several months later, they had a harvest festival. And everybody was bringing like their offerings that they could contribute to as far as the harvest festival goes. And she shows up with, with potatoes. And it come to find out that potato that she had been hit with, she cut the thing up and she planted it. And so now she had potatoes growing in a garden. She took this thing that, that was meant to, to, to hurt her, to disrespect her, to insult her. Man, and she gave that thing to God. She planted it. And then now she's reaping a harvest from that. I thought that was just the most amazing story. And to me, you know, it says that we need to ask ourselves how much misery and how much turmoil would, would we avoid if we let the peace of Christ umpire our hearts, if we made decisions through that. How many hateful words would have gone unsaid or how many sleepless nights could we have avoided if we let Christ serve as the king on the, on the throne of our heart? And then... In context of, of worship, we come together as a body. Think about how different our corporate, our corporate worship would look 
Paul says that as members of one body, you were called to peace. And if we allow the peace of Christ governing our hearts as individuals, we're going to come into an atmosphere of worship that is peaceful without bitterness, that doesn't look across the room in comparison, that doesn't look at old sins or wrongs and sit in a worship service and harbor those things and then think you can give glory to God in the middle of it. It's, it's not, it's not going to happen. We'll show up with bitterness and anxiety. But if we, if we make this choice, if we can just fight this, this, this flesh and we put on these virtues and we begin to, to cultivate this, this way of life where Christ is our ultimate decision maker and everything goes through, through Him, and it's going, to, it's going to change everything. It's going to change the way we come together. It's going to change the way we worship together. It's going to change the way we live together, ultimately. And then Paul, Paul says at the end here, and this is interesting, that the placement of this, he says, and be, and be thankful. After the peace of Christ is ruling in your heart, in order to have unity in the body, he says, be thankful. So I, I did some digging around on this, and turns out you cannot have gratitude and fear or anxiety happening in the brain simultaneously. That's what science has proven, that if you look at MRIs of brains processing these feelings, you can, you can see that they happen in the same area of the brain and they can't happen simultaneously. So somebody that's in the act of appreciating the goodness of something, they can't feel fear at the same time. I thought that was so so interesting. When we remove ourselves from, from the throne of our own heart, right? When we, and we give that responsibility to Christ and say, okay, Jesus, I can't do this. I know how damaging my own wicked influences can be, how damaging my human nature can be when left unguarded. So I give you the throne of my heart. And when you do that, you, you release the anxiety, you release the, the fears and all the the tension that comes with being in charge of all those things, when you don't know how to respond to a certain situation, when you don't know how to respond to an, an emotion, you give that to Christ, and in, and in return, you're cultivating this heart of thankfulness because those things can't happen. If you're harboring bitterness against somebody, you're not going to have a thankful heart. If you're walking around anxious over what to do about who knows what, you're not going to have a thankful heart. Those things come from the Prince of Peace. When he takes over the heart. So by putting on the virtues of Christ and allowing our hearts to be ruled by Christ, the body of Christ has, has thankful hearts and we have peace and we become unified as one body. And then we'll see through the indwelling word of Christ we become primed for, for unified worship. That's when the act of worship actually begins to, to, to change shape and it becomes unified. By the individual indwelling of the Word of Christ, we become unified in worship with the body of Christ. Verse 16 says this, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. God. Listen, I'll be just as honest and transparent as I can be. This has been a hard week 
of looking at this passage and I've just been broken over and over and I've just asked God, am I ever going to look like this? I see what needs to be done, but can I, can I, can I do that? Can that really happen? And so here's, here's, what, here's what I've learned. It's hard to live like Jesus. <laughs> Simple enough. It's hard to live like Jesus, but listen, the more time that I spend in the Word of God, the more I notice the influence of the Word of God in my life. And so here's what, what I've come up with. It's easier to have a compassionate heart when you've seen in Scripture that your sin was paid for by the sinless Savior. It's easier to forgive when you look in the mirror of God's Word and see the size of your own sin debt that Christ paid. It's easier to be at peace when the Bible says you don't have to settle every score because Christ is going to do that when He comes back. It becomes easier to endure pain and suffering here on earth when you read that one day God Himself is coming to dwell with man and He will wipe away every tear from every eye, that death will be no more, that mourning and crying and pain will have passed. It's easier to share the gospel with the lost and dying world when you know that Christ freely gives the water of life to those who are thirsty. And it's easier to put on Christ when Scripture promises that the one who conquers will enjoy the heritage of God as children of God for all eternity. But this rich indwelling that, that Paul's talking about, it's not a read my Bible every once in a while kind of indwelling. It's as if the Word of God was to literally take up residence and live inside of you. That's what he's saying. It's a rich, deep, life-changing indwelling where the Word of God literally lives inside of you. And then we're, we become wise into salvation. We hear the Gospel. We understand the Gospel. We become protected against false Gospels. Right? We can recognize that. We become protected from false teachers and, and we learn the, the humility to, to receive admonishment and to, to correct it with a right heart where we can lovingly say to a brother or sister, I've seen this behavior in you and this is what's going to happen. You need to change that. The rich indwelling Word of Christ is where those things happen. And then the only response that, that we can give to that constant nourishment of the Word when we gather together is like what Brother Richard said last week. We erupt into a, a worship that we've not experienced. It completely changes us. This is, this is what Legan Duncan said, and I thought this was awesome. He said, Christian worship is a Word-mediated encounter between the congregation and the living God. Man. If you want to worship God, you've got to know how to worship God. We can't just come to Him however we want. And think of that. Who are we to, to come to church and you hear people say things like this? Who are we to, to leave church and say, well, worship wasn't all that great today when you haven't spent five minutes alone in the Word of God all week? And then you show up here and you expect worship to just happen. That's not, that's not how it works. You've got to spend time with God. And when you do, when you go, when you go deep into the well of Scripture, that well just, just springs up in us and it just overflows when we come together 
for worship and we naturally just erupt in song and in praise and we lift our voices to God as one body with thankful hearts. We overflow. When I was, when I was a kid, when I, when I lived in Warren, I had a neighbor down the street that raised emus. I had to Google how to pronounce that. Emus. E-M-U. But I used to feed these big ostrich-looking birds and, I, and he had a lot of them and they were mean and he had this huge bucket that he would fill up with water and, and take over to the trough. And so when he was gone, I would come down and I'd feed his birds and I'd fill this, this bucket up to the top and I'd try to get it to the trough. And when I did, man, water is just sloshing all over the place and it just spills out. My, my feet are soaked after that. Remind me of Ken Hughes. He said this, When the buckets of our lives are full to the brim with God's Word, we cannot move without spilling forth in song. That's the, that's the natural response when you're happy, when, you, when you're full of joy, when you know God, when you know who He is and He's taken up residence in your, in your life. You just you sing. Good or bad, we, we, we sing. And you can't force that. I mean, you can, but that's not worship. That's just mimicking words to, to a song. Real worship springs from God's Word and it comes out naturally. It's not, it's not forced. And when we're filled with the Word of God, when we spend time in His Word, and do that. Spend time in God's Word. There's nothing more worthy of our time. And listen, if, if we would do this, just, just imagine a church full of, of Christ-centered people just completely saturated with the Word of God. A body like that coming together, the worship that is going to come forth out of that body is going to be as close as we can get to heaven on earth. When there's a countless number gathered around the throne and, and worshiping in unison with with one voice and, and one body. That's our model. If we want to, if we want to have that on earth, this is this is how it's gonna this is how it's gonna happen. Paul gives us this this last verse here. He says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Really simple, right? I don't think you can find a more comprehensive exhortation in Scripture than, okay, everything you do, word or deed, do it in the name of Jesus, and you got this. No, no problem, right? This includes absolutely everything, but just as, as noticeably as it is comprehensive, there's also a noticeable simplicity to it. There's, there's, there's just a couple things there. And it's sort of governed by the, the knowledge that God sees and hears everything that we do. So this isn't breaking news. <laughs> it should be something that we're aware of, that we're walking in all the time. Funny story, I went to Branson as a, as a teenager. I think I was like 15. And they had this ejection chair on the side of the strip up there. 
And it's this chair. It fits two people in it. It's like this big metal ball. And they pull you back basically like a, a slingshot. And they just let you go. And then you just eject up into this, the sky. And you're on bungee cords. So when you're up there, you go up there. And then you come back down. And you just kind of bounce around or whatever. Well, they didn't tell me that they were recording the thing while it was going on. And that the people over here could see the video. I said things I wasn't proud of. I made faces that I wish nobody would have ever seen. <laughs> and those people got to see and hear every bit of it. So I get out of line and I see the video and I'm and I go <laughs> and I go the other way, right? I don't want them I don't want them to to see to see me. But God hears everything we say. He hears absolutely Everything. And he sees absolutely everything. So, if we set the name of Christ as our guiding, guiding principle, everything that, that we're seeing here, we maintain. If we want to put on the virtues of Christ, keep them on. If we want to let, let peace rule in our hearts if we want to have peace within the body that we've been called into. And if we want the, the word of Christ to richly indwell in us, to, to stay devoted to God's word and, and what it says, we set the name of Christ above everything that we, that we do. So before anything would, would proceed, whether it be in action or in, in word, and I think we can even include thoughts. It's harder to deal with. We'll keep it to word or deed. But if we can ask ourselves a couple questions. Can I, can I do this while calling upon the name of Jesus? Can I do this thing and call upon the name of Jesus? Can I ask Jesus to help me with this thing? Start looking at our decisions and our actions under that light. It's going to change a little bit when we're reminded that, that he sees all and that he's over all. And then the same thing with our, with our words. You know, scripture says we shouldn't bless and curse from, from the same mouth. So we ask ourselves, am I okay knowing that Jesus is going to hear what it is that I'm about to say or, or what I've already said? Am I okay with that? Can I speak this word and speak the name of Jesus in the same breath? That'll keep you quiet. As me. So the way the way we maintain this this Christ-centered life, the way we maintain unity within the body of Christ is to bring every word and every action into the presence of Christ. And that's a, that sounds like a lot, but it's simple. It takes slowing down, and it takes putting off that old self, putting on those, those virtues of Christ, cultivating a thankful heart. Let me ask you a question. Where, 
Where is Christ in your life today? Is, is Jesus Christ the most important person in your life? Or are you the most important person in your life? you make decisions with the body of Christ that you've been called into? Do you make decisions with, with everyone else in mind? Or all your decisions just made with, with you in mind? And then what, it, what are you being filled with? I mean, it's the age-old adage, what goes in comes out. If you're not being filled with the Word of God, if you're being filled with whatever YouTube's pumping out, if you're being filled with whatever XM radio's pumping out, if you're being drenched in Twitter and Facebook and all of those things, those things that you complain about, those are the things that you're putting inside of you and those are the things that are going to come out of you. What are you filling yourself with? The body of Christ becomes unified when the members of the body are engaged in a Christ-centered lifestyle, but the body of Christ is divided when its members are engaged in a self-centered lifestyle. I think that's true in this passage. I think we see that. So if Christ isn't the center of your life, I'm going to encourage you today to, to make that commitment. And that might mean you need to get up and, and go say you're sorry to somebody or forgive somebody. Let something go. Let go of that bitterness that's been causing division in your life or within this body. Let it go so you can have gratitude in its place. You can have peace and you can have a thankful heart. Commit to being an active member of the body. Now, I'm not going to be dead weight anymore. I'm not going to let this leg drag the other leg so our body looks like this. But I'm going to be an active member of the body. I'm going to live as I have been called to live, holy, chosen, blameless. I'm going to be active in that. But whatever it is, I, I, I encourage you to make those commitments today. And it, if you're a non-believer, let me, if you're, let me speak to you for a minute. If you're, if you're here and this is all new to you, <laughs> and you don't get it, and you don't understand it, but you know God is talking to you on some level, that you're becoming face-to-face -face with the, the burdens in your, in your own life, and you don't understand how all this works, but you know you're tired of that. Here's, understand this. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So if you're tired of carrying your sins around, if that peace of Christ sounds really good to you, if you live in a chaotic home, in a chaotic situation, and you don't know anything about peace, and it sounds good to you, I encourage you today, be, be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That is the only way to experience peace. Jesus said, peace is mine and I, and I give it to you. So I encourage you to, to do that today.
I'd love to help you with that. I'm going to, I'm going to pray for us in, in just a minute. But before I do, I want to encourage you to consider all these things that have been said, but consider them deeply. Don't just let it be Christian talk. I know I've got to be nice. I know I've got to be kind. I need to be patient. And then we get in our cars and boom, it's gone. It's all gone by the time we ever get home and we're back, we're, we're arguing before we ever get home or we're complaining about something we, we didn't like today. So deeply consider those. Where are they in your life? Make some commitments to bring those into your life. But whatever business that needs to be handled today, please do it. That's why we have altars to get rid of our baggage, to give those things to, to God, to repent. Well, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, what do we do with this? These are some big challenges, Lord, but I pray that we would look past the challenges, that we would see the truth of your word, that we would see these promises and God, that we would see the possibilities and the end results to be a unified body of Christ. That when we come together, that, that the way we experience you, the way we celebrate you, would be in unison, God, with hearts that are thankful for you, thankful for our position before you, thankful that we've been called into the body of Christ. I ask you to change our lives today, Lord, that you would allow us to take a deep look at things that need to be let go of. We would just give those things to you and let you work in our lives and let you build this body closer together as it should be. And that you would be the benefactor of heartfelt, meaningful, unified worship. I ask those things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.